Blessings of the Triple Gem, Teruan Saranai. We are continuing with our series on profitable perceptions, which is based on the Buddha's teaching in the Dutiya Sanya Sutta. This is Anguttanikaya Chapter 7, Discourse Number 49. Today's Dhamma session is on the perception of death or Marana Sanya in Pali. Let's begin by paying homage to the Triple Gem. We can bow our heads and Anjali. Homage to the Buddha. Homage to the Dhamma. And homage to the Noble Sangha. As we highlighted in our introductory session, we will examine each of the profitable perceptions to clarify the Buddha's instructions and their meaning, and also to understand what they overcome and how to develop each one referencing other teachings of the Buddha where needed. And in a final session, we'll consolidate the seven perceptions as a single meditation. As the Buddha has said in the Dutiyasanya Sutta, because these seven perceptions, when developed and cultivated, are of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having the deathless as their consummation. And as per the Raga Payala, these are the abbreviated texts at the end of chapter seven of the Anguttanikaya. Developing these seven things helps us to gain direct knowledge of lust or greed and much, much more. In today's session, we'll be focusing on the perception of death, which helps the mind to shrink away from the attachment to life. We know from contemplating the noble truth of suffering that birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, and death is suffering. So part of understanding the first noble truth is making sure we understand why death is suffering. And this is so we know why the Buddha has encouraged us to develop and cultivate the perception of death. And the other parts of the noble truth of suffering are sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness, and despair are suffering. Union with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not getting what one wants is suffering. And in brief, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. What will become clear is that when we do not develop the perception of death, we become very intoxicated with life, very identified with it, and as a consequence, we are shocked whenever we, whenever we come into contact with death. And we also suffer immensely, whether it's death of a person, pet, and even death in the sense of material objects and life events, as well as our ideas, views, and so on. All conditions are inherently fragile and death-bound. By not developing and cultivating the perception of death, the truth remains hidden. We can't see the unlastingness and we keep arousing greed, hatred and delusion. When this is the case, there is no end to suffering. The Buddha has stated there is one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to disenchantment to dispassion, to cessation, to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of death. And this appears in Pathamavagga of Anguttamikaya. And again, the Buddha says, if for just the time of a finger snap, a bhikkhu develops the perception of death, he is called a bhikkhu who is not devoid of jhana, so mental absorption or concentration, who acts upon the teaching of the teacher who responds to his advice and who does not eat the country's alms food in vain, how much more then those who cultivate it 
And this is from Apra Achara Sangata Vagga, also in Anguttamikaya chapter 1. And one more, the Buddha says, because those ascetics or Brahmins who do not understand aging and death, its origin, its cessation, and the way leading to its cessation, these I do not consider to be ascetics among ascetics or Brahmins among Brahmins. And these venerable ones do not, by realizing it for themselves with direct knowledge, in this very life enter and dwell in the goal of asceticism or the goal of Brahmanhood. And this is from Jara Marana Sutta in that Sanyutta Nikaya chapter 12, discourse number 71. The very wise words from the Buddha that we can take encouragement from. Let's now deep dive into what the Buddha has said about the perception of attractiveness, or sorry, the perception of death in this Dutya Sanya Sutta. It was said, the perception of death, because when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having the deathless as its consummation. So here we know that deathless is reference to Nibbana, enlightenment. For what reason was this said? When a bhikkhu often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of death, his mind shrinks away from attachment to life, turns back from it, rolls away from it, and is not drawn toward it. Either equanimity or revulsion becomes settled in him. Just as a cock's feather or a strip of sinew thrown into a fire shrinks away from it, turns back from it, rolls away from it, and is not drawn toward it. So it is in regard to attachment to life when a bhikkhu often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of death. If you remember, we have looked at this relationship between life and death when we contemplated the Vatupama Sutta. So this is Majjhiminikaya Discourse number 7. And particularly when we looked at the mental stain of vanity or intoxication. So in Pali, this is mother. We know there are three kinds of vanity or intoxication. So regarding youth, Yobana mother, good health, Arogya mother, and life, Jivita mother. So with respect to intoxication with life, when this defilement is active or has arisen in the mind, it covers the truth about death or that we are of the nature to die. We get fully absorbed into what we're studying or our jobs or our families, our friends, colleagues, all of our plans for the future and so on. That's not to say we have to give up all these things, but it's important to see and understand that this kind of vanity or intoxication, if we breed it, can be detrimental to the spiritual path to delay, to veer off, and to block the truth as it really is. If we were to contemplate that death is imminent, it's coming today or tomorrow, then there is an immediate paradigm shift. Would we be so concerned about booking a holiday or buying the latest gadget or holding on to a grudge at work or going for a promotion or holding wealth? Holding wealth? If we can't take it with us, then there is a paradigm shift. We can see even from this small contemplation or reflection that developing the perception of death can be really valuable. And while we live, it can be helpful in making wiser choices, not getting swayed by the worldly winds and even towards better financial decisions. As we know from the five frequent contemplation, the Buddha has stated during their lives, beings are intoxicated with life. And when they are intoxicated with life, they engage in misconduct by body, speech and mind. But when one often reflects upon this subject, the intoxication with life is either completely abandoned or diminished. And so the Buddha encourages us to wisely reflect, I'm not the only one who is subject to death, not exempt from death. 
All beings that come and go, that pass away and undergo rebirth, are subject to death. None are exempt from death. As we often reflect on this subject, the path is generated. We pursue this path, develop it, and cultivate it. As we do so, the fetters are entirely abandoned and the underlying tendencies are uprooted. So it's a very powerful practice. King Pasenadiya Kosala, sometimes called King Kosala, once asked the Buddha in the Jara Maranam Sutta, this is Sanyutta Nikaya, chapter 3, discourse number 3, Venerable Sir, for one who has taken birth, is there anything other to expect than aging and death? And the Buddha's response was emphatic. For one who has taken birth, great king, there is nothing other to expect than aging and death. Even in the case of those affluent elites, rich with great wealth and property, with abundant gold and silver, abundant treasures and commodities, abundant wealth and grain, because they have taken birth, there is nothing other to expect than aging and death. And so you see here the Buddha is really highlighting that particular link in Patichasamupada or dependent origination. If there's birth, then all we can expect is aging and death. And of course, if there's aging and death, then this whole mess of suffering. Now, if we can expect aging and death, common sense would tell us to ensure that we fully understand this and not to allow ourselves to remain deluded or ignorant of the facts. However, when we look out into the world, all the focus is on what has happened or is happening in life, how much we're attached to life, what we have accumulated. And our primary focus is always on our plans for the future and what more we wish to accumulate or achieve. This is primarily how we spend our time, what we speak about, what we think about. So we could certainly say we are highly competent at life and living and very unprepared for death. For example, when someone dies, we often talk with shock about the fact that they passed away. We say, how could this happen? It shouldn't be like this. And we tend to assign blame without understanding that we are all of the nature to die. And we also have a strong tendency to shine the spotlight on the dead person's life and what they achieved over the course of their life. And by doing so, cover up the truth about death. So this is not to dishonor what the person has achieved. But the fact that we shine the spotlight means that we cover up the truth about death. We don't even really mention it. We also don't understand that death can come at any age, not necessarily when we're elderly. The Buddha's teaching on Kamma would help us to understand this one better. And in most countries, we commonly don't get to see the dead body. It's usually covered or hidden from sight. And even if it is seen, it's been cleaned and dressed and made up. So we never get to see the true picture of death what it really looks like, which is linked to the perception of unattractiveness of the body, which we looked at in part two of this series. Now, when we come into contact with someone who works at the cemetery or the morgue, we can indeed become very uncomfortable or even scared. We may immediately want that person to go away because of what they represent or remind us of, which is death. And talking about death as inevitable or Something we should prepare ourselves for is usually taboo. Conventionally, we are typically steered away from such talk. It's like, oh no, why are you being so negative and morose? It's better to focus on life. Or someone says to us, that's not for polite conversation. When this is the case, no one will ever be ready to talk about death, let alone be ready for what happens at the point of death and beyond. 
From a Dhamma perspective, by ignoring death or the perception of death, intoxication with life becomes a major block on the spiritual path, and we are setting ourselves up for likely failure at the point of death. Throughout his teachings, the Buddha continually encouraged to ensure the perception of death is well established internally, because if we often dwell with the perception of death, then similar to the simile of the cock's feather or a strip of sinew thrown into the fire, our mind would shrink away, turn back, roll away, and not be drawn towards attachment to life. We would have more genuine equanimity regarding the swings and roundabouts of life. We wouldn't be so singularly focused on accumulating and fighting over material wealth, power, and achievement. And we would be prepared for our own death, as well as those of our loved ones. If we never develop the perception of death, then our mind is constantly imbued with attachment to life and continuously constructing based on that, and we cover up our true predicament. So in part two of this profitable perception series, we looked at the perception of unattractiveness or foulness, so the asubhasanya in Pali, and we highlighted that the first unprofitable direction, which begins with physical nutriment, so coupling kara hara, and because we have the perversion of attractive in the unattractive, sensual desire increases and expands because there is attachment or craving towards the physical nutriment or form. This leads to going the wrong way due to desire, chanda agati gamanam in Pali, which is associated with the greed path. So the left-hand side, first unprofitable direction is associated with the greed path. And then we know the first doorway to nibbana or first profitable directions on the right-hand side that is the painful practice with slow realization. I meant to say slow there, not uh, quick. So this means that we dwell contemplating the unattractiveness of the body, perceiving the repulsiveness of food, perceiving non-delight in the entire world, contemplating impermanence in all conditioned phenomena, and we have the per perception of death well established internally. In our previous session, we looked at developing and cultivating the perception of unattractiveness or foulness. And that was to overcome the perception of attractiveness or beauty. It is also possible to apply the perception of death thoroughly, because if we do so, then it also helps us to overcome the perception of attractiveness or beauty with regard to the body. When the body dies or passes away, the impurities and nature of the 32 body parts can be fully seen as it really is. And what is also prominent is the impermanent nature or unlastiness of the body, as well as that it is suffering. All these things help us to overcome the escalation of sensual desire that is part of greed path. If we then contemplate the arising and passing away phenomena, this helps us to understand our collective predicament. As we've highlighted before, this is the big picture perspective and how if we misapprehend and can continue to crave or have attachment, then we keep activating dependent origination. The perception of death is important because it means that we're able to penetrate the arising and passing away phenomena, and to see at least one link in dependent origination. If there is birth, then there is aging and death. If there's aging and death, another link is that it leads to this whole mass of suffering. So if we are reborn, then we are subject to aging and death and the whole mass of suffering. If we see this clearly in our meditation, then we don't take delight, don't welcome, and don't remain holding, meaning delight ceases. So nabi nandati, nabi wadati, nachosayatitati. And if there is no delight, then clinging ceases. 
then we don't come to exist. Then birth ceases, aging and death ceases, and suffering ceases. So if we are successful in this part of the meditation, we reach the heavenly abode, so four jhanas, so this first abiding. And then we make the effort to protect the mind from unskilled thoughts. And we reach the first wonderful and marvelous idea, which is the noble truth of suffering. Here we remind ourselves again that birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, and death is suffering. But this time the contemplation is more powerful because we have already gotten our first taste of Nibbana by reaching the heavenly abode, the first abiding. So we generally realize that what is in the world is false and deceptive. And this is where we make the determination for truth, for what is not deceptive, and that is Nibbana. So what we can see from this reminder of the inside pathway for the first doorway to Nibbana or first profitable direction on this right-hand side is how powerful the perception of death can be towards developing the non-greed path. So how do we develop and cultivate the perception of death? There are a number of different ways that have been taught up by the Buddha, so we'll mention two today. The first is from looking at the Mahasatipatthana Sutta, so Majjhimanikaya Discourse number 10. And when we contemplate the body as body, it includes the nine charnel ground meditations or contemplations. And in Pali, this is so the Buddha has said again because as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two or three days dead, bloated, livid and oozing matter. A bhikkhu compares his same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. In this way, he abides contemplating the body as body internally, externally and both internally and externally. And he abides independent and not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body as body. Again, as though he were to see, and this is a second contemplation, corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, being devoured by crows, hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, or various kinds of worms. A bhikkhu compares this same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. And then he explains the same thing. And then the third one is, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, a skeleton with flesh and blood held together with sinews. And then the fourth is a fleshless skeleton smeared with blood held together with sinews. The fifth is a skeleton without flesh and blood held together with sinews. And the sixth is disconnected bones scattered in all directions. So for example, here a hand bone, there a foot bone, here a shin bone, there a thigh bone, here a hip bone, there a backbone, here a rib bone, there a breastbone. Here an arm bone, there a shoulder bone. Here a neck bone, there a jaw bone. Here a tooth, there is a skull. And so again, a bhikkhu would compare that body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. Again, explains as it goes in the sutta. And then the seventh one is if one were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, bones bleach white, the color of a shell. And then the eighth one, bones heaped up. The ninth and final one is bones more than a year old, rotted and crumbled to dust. And again, it says, a bhikkhu compares the same body with the dust. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. So the background to this slide gives an impression of these 
nine stages of a decaying corpse. But if you want to get a more realistic picture, and I do recommend and encourage, there are images on the internet that will show what a gradual decomposition of the dead body is really like. In the meditation, we would contemplate each one to ensure we have the correct image in our mind. If we have seen an image even once, or even the real thing, it's very helpful because it's similar to taking medicine for seeing the true nature of the body, that it is foul, that it is unlasting, that it is subject to change, that it is bound to death. So just to confirm the nine channel ground contemplations again, just in summary. So the first is a corpse that is swollen, blue or, or livid and festering, can be one, two, three days old. And then the second is a corpse that is being eaten by crows, hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, or by different kinds of worms. The third is a corpse that is reduced to a skeleton together with some flesh and blood held in by the sinews. The fourth is a corpse that is reduced by a blood-besmeared skeleton without flesh but held in by the sinews. The fifth is a corpse that is reduced by a, to a skeleton held in by the sinews but without flesh and not besmeared by blood. The sixth is a corpse that is reduced to bones gone loose, scattered in all directions. The seventh is a corpse that is reduced to bones, white in color like, like shelves. The ninth is a corpse that is reduced to bones more than a year old, heaped together. And the last one, last or ninth one, is a corpse that is reduced to bones gone rotten and become dust and or powder. And as we go through each one, we would compare that our body is of the same nature. We are not exempt from the exact same fate. So this is the correct perception of death that we are arousing. Another way to arouse the perception of death is, and we have examined this before, is to visualize a dead body in our mind, even one that has been festering for a few days. It could be someone that we know, such as a loved one who's already passed away, or someone else that we have actually seen. And we contemplate in our mind that we are visiting them at the funeral home or mortuary, and their body is lying there in front of us. Now, at the time, we think in accordance with the Buddha's instructions, and we think my body is of the same nature, I will be subject to the exact same thing. And then we imagine that we lie down next to that body and contemplate that we too have passed away. And we think about what if our dead body was lying there for a week or more? What would happen? Now, remember, as we take in these instructions, we are doing this contemplation to see the truth because the Buddha says it's fruitful and beneficial and it's not for any other reason. So linking to our previous session on the profitable perception of unattractiveness, so Subhasanya, we looked at the Gandha Sutta, so Guttu Nikaya chapter 9, discourse number 15. So the Buddha talked correctly about contemplating the nine holes in the body like a, like a boil. And so we have two holes for the nose, two holes for the ears, two holes for the eyes, one hole for the mouth, one hole where we urinate, and the last hole is where we defecate. So here when we're developing the perception of death, and we imagine that we're lying there for more than a week, we can ask what is happening from those nine holes when we pass away. Then in our meditation, we would see all the impurities oozing or seeping from those nine holes. Now, if we are developing the perception of death properly, then we may be fortunate enough to see other signs of decom decomposition of the body come or arise in our mind. And this, for example, may be our body being eaten by worms, or maybe it's discoloration or bloating. And if this is the case, then consider that as a real blessing 
because we want to see the truth of how things really are with regard to the body. What we're really seeing is that death is dukkha. It is suffering. So where is the pleasurable feeling that we keep assigning to this life? Remember in our previous session, when we develop and cultivate the perception of unattractiveness or foulness, and we contemplate the arising and passing away of this form, it's possible to transform. Now, when we contemplate the perception of death correctly, we've been saying it's pleasurable, that there's pleasurable feeling, but then what we see is when we really arouse the perception of death correctly, then what happens is we can transcend the feeling that is associated with the form, feeling because of form. If we contemplate a rising and passing away phenomenon of feeling at this point, then we would heavily incline towards cessation because what we're really seeing is dukkha, dukkha bound. Death bound means dukkha bound. So we're reminding ourselves of dependent origination. And if we don't have the perception of death properly established, then we would take delight, welcome, and remain holding to feeling. So abhinandati, abhiwadati, ajosayatitati. And because of craving, then there's delight. Delight is the condition for clinging. Clinging is the condition for existence. Existence is the condition for birth. And birth is the condition for aging and death and this whole mass of suffering. So if we correctly develop the perception of death, cultivate it, then we don't take delight, having seen the truth. If we have that wisdom, then we don't take delight, we don't welcome, don't remain holding to feeling because we understand that it only leads to suffering. So if there is no craving, then there's no delight, meaning that cessation of clinging. With the cessation of clinging, we have the cessation of existence. With the cessation of existence, we have the cessation of birth. And with the cessation of birth, we have the cessation of aging and death. And of course, the cessation of suffering. Now, we've said before as well, the perception of death is one of the hardest to contemplate for most people in the beginning. Most of us have a block that can make it difficult to go there. For example, our mind says, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. Or when we meditate, we fall asleep or we have a very strong urge to get up and urgently go and do something else or we feel physically sick. So I've previously given some advice around this because there was a question where someone asked, is there any advice on overcoming challenges with Maranasati meditation? And it's worth taking a look at that Dhamma Q&A if you're having any difficulty. So I'll post a link uh, when I post this. Once that initial struggle is overcome in developing the perception of death or even mindfulness of death, then there's a tremendous bounty that comes with being able to develop and cultivate this perception or to establish it well or thoroughly. The Buddha gave teachings to the bhikkhus on mindfulness of death as well. And these can be very helpful in arousing a sense of urgency. So they're in the Maranasati Sutta. There's two of them. And this is in chapter six of Anguttamikaya. The first one is discourse number 19. Here on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Nadika in the brick hall. There the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus, bhikkhus. And then the bhikkhus replied, Venerable Sir. And then the Blessed One said this, bhikkhus, mindfulness of death when developed and cultivated is of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having deathless as its consummations. We know deathless refers to Nibbana. So it's good to recognize that the Buddha is telling us that mindfulness of death will result in the deathless, which is pretty amazing. This makes sense if we understand that if we want to cease the process of dependent origination, 
because all conditions are actually death-bound in nature. They also have suffering nature. So if we correctly contemplate the perception of death or mindfulness of death, then we turn away from taking delight and clinging to anything, any condition that is death-bound. So then the Buddha asked the monks, but do you bhikkhus develop mindfulness of death? And so uh, when this was said, the first monk said to the Blessed One that, that he does, and the, the Buddha asked, how do you actually develop it? And the first monk says, may I live just a night and day so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching. I could then accomplish much. It is in this way that I develop mindfulness of death. And then a second bhikkhu goes through the same thing and then says, they contemplate, may I live just a day so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching. I could then accomplish much. And then the third monk says that they contemplate, may I live just the length of time it takes to eat a single alms meal so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teachings. I could then accomplish much. And then another bhikkhu says to uh, the Buddha, he thinks or contemplates, may I live just the length of time it takes to chew and swallow four or five mouthfuls of food so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And then another bhikkhu says to the Buddha that he thinks or reflects, may I live just the length of time it takes to chew and swallow one single mouthful of food so that, that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And then still another bhikkhu says to the Blessed One that they think or reflect, may I live just the length of time it takes to breathe out after breathing in or to breathe in after breathing out so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And so when this was said, the Blessed One said to the bhikkhus, bhikkhus, the bhikkhu who develops mindfulness of death, thus may I live just a night and a day so that I, I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And then the second one, the one who develops mindfulness of death, thus may I live just a day so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And then the third, the one who develops Mindfulness of death thus, may I live just the length of time it takes to eat a single alms meal so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And then the fourth one that says uh, that they develop mindfulness of death thus, may I live just the length of time it takes to chew and swallow four or five mouthfuls of food so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. The Buddha says, these are called bhikkhus who dwell heedlessly. Uh, or negligently, they develop mindfulness of death sluggishly for the destruction of the taints. But the bhikkhu who develops mindfulness of death thus, may I live just the length of time it takes to chew and swallow a single mouthful of food so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. And also the one who develops the mindfulness of death thus, may I live just the length of time it takes to breathe out after breathing in and to breathe in after breathing out so that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching, I could then accomplish much. These are called bhikkhus who dwell heedfully or vigilantly. They develop mindfulness of death keenly for the destruction of the taint. Therefore, bhikkhus, you should train yourself thus. We will dwell heedfully or vigilantly. We will develop mindfulness of death keenly for the destruction of the taints. Thus, you should train yourselves. This teaching from the Buddha is very important because it corrects how we may go wrong with regards to how we've been or we are developing mindfulness of death. Most of our development is most likely sluggish and negligent. We lack a sense of urgency because we usually think, oh, we've got plenty of time. 
this will happen to someone else, not me. Uh, I'll think about this later. And so you can see we're not vigilant around mindfulness of death. This, When we wake up in the morning, it's not something we actually think about. During the day, we don't think about it. So only when we encounter news of impending death or death or something that makes us fear death that we actually think about it. But even then, we don't have the correct perception of it. So in the first instance, it's really good to admit that we're negligent and also that we're sluggish regarding mindfulness of death because if we admit it then at least we have the chance to look at how busy we are and to actually see oh I can do better and if you just admit that most of the time we're so imbued in what's happening in life we're so busy next thing to the next thing to the next thing then at least we can make that admission and then when we do sit down or whatever posture we're applying to do our meditation and this is to develop and cultivate mindfulness of death or perception of death during that time, then we need to develop it keenly and to be vigilant around it as the Buddha has instructed, particularly when we meditate, because whether it's the length of time to chew or swallow one mouthful of food or the length of time to breathe out after breathing in or to breathe in after breathing out, this is how urgent and impending we need to perceive or have mindfulness of death. So the key here is always to arouse a sense of urgency in our meditation, recognizing that death may come at any moment. It immediately uh, diminishes our attachment to life and lessens that attachment. So it can be very, very helpful. And then in the Dutya Marana Sati Sutta, so this is chapter 6, discourse number 20 of Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha is again arousing a sense of urgency by applying a similar but different reflection. So it says, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Navika in the brick hall. There, the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus. Bhikkhus, mindfulness of death, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having deathless as its consummation. And how is this so? In this instance, the Buddha says, here, bhikkhus, when day has receded and night has approached, a bhikkhu reflects thus, I couldn't die on account of many causes. One, a snake might bite me, or a scorpion or a centipede might sting me, or I might die. That would be an obstacle for me. Two, I might stumble and fall down. Or three, my food might disagree with me. Or four, my bile might become agitated. Or five, my phlegm might become agitated. Or six, sharp winds in me might become agitated, and I might die. That would be an obstacle for me. This bhikkhu should reflect thus. Do I have any bad, unwholesome qualities? that might not have been abandoned, which might become an obstacle for me if I were to die tonight. If upon review, the bhikkhu knows I have bad, unwholesome qualities that might not have been abandoned, which might become an obstacle for me if I were to die tonight, then he should put forth extraordinary desire, effort, zeal, enthusiasm, indefatigability, mindfulness, and clear comprehension to abandon those bad, unwholesome qualities. Just as one whose clothes or head had caught fire would put forth extraordinary desire, effort, zeal, etc. To extinguish the fire, his clothes, his head, uh, the fire on his hope, his clothes or head, so that because should put forth extraordinary desire and so on to abandon those bad, unwholesome qualities. But if upon review the bhikkhu knows thus, I do not have any bad, unwholesome qualities that have not been abandoned which might become an obstacle for me if I were to die tonight, then he should dwell in that same rapture and gladness, training day and night in wholesome quality. 
And then the Buddha said the same thing or the same reflection for when night has receded and day has approached. So the key here is he's lighting a fire under us to realize that we can die of any causes. Anything could befall us and we must remember that. So when we know that, it's very good to abandon unabandoned bad unwholesome qualities because that's the greed hatred and delusion part and if we are able to abandon them and if we know that we have abandoned them and we don't have these bad qualities then we are able to train night and day in good ones and that means we're on the non-greed non-hatred non-delusion path so there's two things that the buddha is really asking us to reflect the first is to reflect that death can happen due to unexpected causes and the second one is about these bad un awesome qualities that haven't been abandoned and to make sure we review and remove them if they are there using extraordinary effort zeal desire and so forth similar to if our head or our clothes were on fire how we would extinguish that fire and then when we review and it's not there then we're happy we we dwell with rapture and gladness and so we train in the non-greed non-hate and non-delusion part towards nibbana so we can see again how important a sense of urgency is with regards to mindfulness of death. And I think we can all admit that we don't have that sense of urgency when we go about our day-to-day -day business. So it's quite apparent when we don't develop and cultivate this correctly, we don't prioritize hearing, learning, practicing, and penetrating noble dhamma. We don't make the time for it. Instead, what we do is we make excuses, we prioritize other things, because those things appear far more important to us and this is normal. This is the convention. So, and this is particularly true when we don't heed the Buddha's words. So th this is the encouragement for us. However, if we do take the time to contemplate the Buddha's teachings, then it can be very fruitful and beneficial, as the Buddha has said. Okay, so let's go back to the Dutiyasanya Sutta and continue with what the Buddha has said in regards to the perception of death. If when a bhikkhu often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of death, his mind inclines to attachment to life. Or if he does not turn away from it, he should understand, I have not developed the perception of death. There is no distinction between my earlier condition and my present one. I have not attained the fruit of development. Thus, he clearly comprehends this. So again, this is like the Buddha giving us a check of how we've done with our meditation how well we've developed the perception of death, whether we've done it properly. So here we would have done the nine charnel ground contemplations or we would have imagined a dead body and then lying next to it and to see whether our mind inclines to attachment to life. And if we don't turn away from life, then we need to recognize that we haven't developed the perception of death properly or the way we have contemplated or applied the Dhamma is wrong. Because we can see if we're still attached to life, then there's no difference. There's no distinction in our mind before, uh, before and after our contemplation. So there's no fruit of development. So it's good to go back and review where we went wrong. Sometimes what happens is we may think we're developing the perception of death. Yet we might still be thinking, oh, that person has died over there, but I'm alive. I'm okay. Or we might think that's not going to happen to me, at least not for a long time. And so whatever the case may be, it's important to correct any flaws in the contemplation. Or sometimes also we might do the nine channel grounds, but we list them out, but we don't reflect that I'm of the same nature. I'm not exempt from that. That is my same fate. 
And so we're not connecting in that way. So we might be thinking about it, but we're not connecting with our own actual physical form. So it's important to correct these things and then do the meditation and see whether there's any distinction. So then the Buddha has said, but if when he often dwells with a mind accustomed to the perception of death, his mind shrinks away from attachment to life and either equanimity or revulsion becomes settled in him, he should understand, I have developed the perception of death. There is a distinction between my earlier condition and my present one. I have attained the fruit of development. Thus, he clearly comprehends this. So in contrast to the earlier one we just went through, after contemplating, if our mind shrinks away from attachment to life, we're not drawn toward it, and either equanimity or even revulsion settles in us, then we understand that we've developed this perception of death properly because there's a difference. And so there's fruit of development. Now, if we're able to develop and cultivate this perception of death thoroughly without veering away from it, and we remain very mindful and vigilant, we know that we have wisdom or insight because we've seen the arising and passing away as well, then what becomes evident is that our mind can get really expanded and very, very vast. So this is a very apparent contrast in our meditation between before and after. If you think about the earlier condition, like prior to doing this perception of death correctly, what normally happens is when we encounter death, we're fearful, we're troubled, and the mind does not expand or grow vast. It gets very small, and there's no wisdom around death. So when we have attained the fruit of development, the mind expands and gets very vast, and so we know that the mind is happy and concentrated. So that's how we know that we've developed it well. And then the Buddha says, when it was said, the perception of death because when developed and cultivated is of great fruit and benefit, culminating in the deathless, having deathless as its consummation. It is because of this that this was said. The Buddha has confirmed that really Nibbana is the final goal and accomplishment of this. And why has the Buddha really said this? It means that we've cultivated it properly. So we understand feeling due to form. We understand that if we misapprehend feeling due to form, then this is how we come to arise in this samsaric predicament. If there is any craving conditioned by feeling, it can only result in birth, therefore aging and death and this whole mass of suffering. But if we have developed the perception of death thoroughly, then we understand that death is suffering. And whatever feeling arises, then we don't believe, we don't trust in that feeling. We don't want to have any craving that is conditioned by feeling, any attachment to this life as a result of that. And so we would shrink away from it, turn back from it, roll away from it, not be drawn to life in that way. And with the breaking up of the body after death, we would be able to uplift the mind to the perception of death. So we don't incline towards constructing another one of these births. Instead, we incline towards cessation order because we want the deathless nibbana. So in the meditation, if we are fortunate enough to attain any liberation, so in Pali Vimutti, then we will have transcended feeling due to form. But as encouragement, there are a number of Dhammapada verses and their associated stories where the Buddha's words resonate in terms of the importance of understanding death. One is Pesakara uh, Dittavatu, and that this is Dhammapada verse number 174, and it's related to the story of the Weaver Girl. We've actually looked at this verse before in a previous uh, session, 
And we've also referenced it when we've looked at the five frequent contemplations on how we are subject to death and are not exempt from death. So if you're familiar with the Weaver Girl story, you may remember she first encountered the Buddha at the age of 16 years. And in the commentary, it was said she understood what the Buddha taught when he said, as one armed with a stick or a spear is prepared to face an enemy, so also one who is ever mindful of death will face death mindfully. He would then leave this world for a good destination. And then some three years later, she would have been 19 when the Buddha gave another teaching and asked her four questions. And in that particular case, she understood because they were directed towards her that we are all subject to death, though we don't know when we will die. And so she was able to realize the fruit of stream entry after he gave the teaching. And it was soon after receiving that teaching, she met with a tragic accident and passed away. And the Buddha then uttered, this Dhammapatha verse, blind are the people of this world, only a few in this world see clearly, just as only a few birds escape the net, so also only a few get to the world of the Devas. So the net that the Buddha is talking about here is Mara's net, that when we are blind to the truth, we don't see clearly about the world, about the predicament, then we don't escape this net, and we're bound for rebirth, more than likely to unhappy destinations. But in the case of the Weaver Girl, our takeaway is, despite her short life, she was one of the few in the world who saw clearly to be mindful of death and having understood the Buddha's words. So it's very inspiring. And another Dhammapada verse is in relation to the story of Patachara. So this is Patachara Vatu, Dhammapada verse number 288 to 89. And it also links with verse number 113 as well. And this is about Patachara, who eventually ordained as a bhikkhuni and was considered by the Buddha the foremost nun in being an expert in the monastic discipline. And we have looked at these verses before in another earlier session when we were looking at who are our role models. And we looked at Venerable Patachara Theri as one of our role models. So again, if you're familiar with her story, you may recall Patachara this was before she became a bhikkhuni, she tragically lost her husband and her two sons during a storm. And soon after, she discovered her parents and three brothers had also passed away due to the storm. And she was driven mad with grief and eventually found her way to the Buddha. The Buddha then gave her a teaching on how we've been transmigrating in this sansara with no discoverable beginning. And the tears that we have shed on account of death of our loved ones is more than the water contained in the four great oceans. And the Buddha encouraged that one shouldn't dwell on those who have passed away, but purify ourselves and strive towards Nibbana, the deathless. And then he uttered the verse to Patachara saying, or the verses to Patachara saying, there are no sons for protection or father or even kin. There is no protection in relatives or one sees by death. Knowing this governed by virtue, the wise should quickly clear the path leading to Nibbana. And so at the end of this teaching, Patachara attained the fruit of stream entry. And she ordained as a bhikkhuni shortly after, and eventually after contemplating the arising and passing away of the five aggregates, similar to what we do in the Samadhi Bhavana meditation, Sutta meditation, she realized Nibbana. So we can see from this story about Patachara Theri that the Buddha's words, that there's no escape from death. We can't find safety or protection from any of our relatives, and they are also not protected from death. And if we truly understand this by developing and cultivating the perception of death in accordance with the Buddha's instructions, then we will realize the fruit of development similar to either the weaver girl 
who is only 19 years old, and also Patachara Theri. So these are two examples of many in the Pali Canon for us to use as inspiration and encouragement towards developing and cultivating the perception of death and to thoroughly establish mindfulness of death. Similar to the perception of unattractiveness or foulness, like Kasubas Sanya, which we went through in part two, we need to be brave. We need to be skilled in how we contemplate the perception of death. So we've now come to the end of this session on the second of the seven profitable perceptions, so the perception of death, Sanya in Pali. Let's express gratitude to the Buddha for these powerful teachings. Let's also express gratitude in our mind to our other teachers, parents and good friends who encourage us on the Noble Eightfold Path. We can now share merits with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem to all of you, wishing you all well. May you gain what is useful from the Buddha's teachings in our session today and continue to develop and make progress on the Noble Eightfold Path and continue to grow in noble qualities. Teruan Saranai.